Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 2, Episode 64. Last week, I covered the history of the city of Bethlehem. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm wrapping up Genesis Chapter 35 with the histories of the Tower of Eder, Paddan Aram, and Kairath Arba. Then I'll cover Edom, as found in Chapter 36. So let's get started. This episode picks up towards the end of Genesis Chapter 35. As a refresher, Chapter 35 concerns God sending Jacob to Bethel, where he builds an altar. Then, God appears to him and renews his promise that Jacob will be a great nation and that his name will be Israel. Next, Jacob sets up another altar and pours a drink offering. His wife Rachel gives birth to Benjamin, but dies in childbirth. She is buried near Bethlehem. Reuben then sins with Bilah, and Isaac dies and is buried by both Jacob and Esau. So the next stop for the history of this chapter is a place called the Tower of Eder. Based on the context of the passage, specifically that it was the place where Jacob encamped after Rachel's death, and given that Rachel is thought to have died at or near Bethlehem, then the tower is assumed to be located not too far from that town. And, to this day, there is no clear, well, exact place that is thought to be the location of the ancient tower. Also, considering that the location is in the mountains of Judea, it's not even known if it was a man-made tower, perhaps for lookouts, or if it was a natural rock formation. Judaic oral traditions claim that animals used for sacrifices at the Jerusalem temple were kept in fields near Eder. And this is key, especially as it connects to the Lamb of God. Which brings me to Micah. There is a proposed connection of the mention of the Tower of Eder in Genesis with the late Old Testament prophet Micah, the same prophet who foretold of the coming Messiah in chapter 4 of the book that bears his name. Micah foretells that the Messiah would be connected with the Tower of the Flock, which is thought to be the same as the Tower of Eder, which, at least in Christianity, also implies that the Tower was near Bethlehem. A place called Eder was mentioned in the book of Joshua, as a town within the control of the tribe of Judah. But it's unclear if this is the same as the tower or two different places that merely shared the same name. A man named Eder was mentioned in 1 Chronicles chapter 8 as a descendant of Benjamin. But like the town, the relationship to the tower is unclear, if the two are related at all. An apparently different man named Eder was mentioned in 1 Chronicles chapters 23 and 24 as a descendant of Levi. And those are the only mentions of the place or name in either testament. Finally, like several of the lesser known places I've covered, there is nothing in the outside historic record. Moving on. Next in chapter 35 is a place called Paddan Aram. The phrase Paddan Aram in the Aramaic language translates to the Field of Aram, and the proper name is associated with an early Aramean kingdom in Mesopotamia. 
This place is generally assumed to be the same place as the place found in Genesis chapter 25, and therefore is the hometown of Rebekah. So, this makes the location essentially associated with the Arameans, and more specifically and in depth was covered in a previous podcast episode, chapter 2, episode 56. Next is a place called Kareth Arba, which is parenthetically referred to as Hebron, at least in both the New Revised Standard and New International versions. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, it's parenthetically mentioned as an alternate name for Hebron. That is, until Judges chapter 1, which clears the confusion brought on by the parentheses and simply states that Hebron was formerly called Kareth Arba. The King James eliminates both the prefix Kareth and the parentheses. I previously covered Hebron, so I'll spend just a minute on Kareth Arba. In Hebrew, the word Arba translates to the number 4. Further clarity is found in Joshua chapter 14, which reads that the town was named after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. The Anakites were thought to be an extremely tall tribe, maybe descended from the Nephilim, or maybe just resembling these giants. Either way, they were of large stature. Finally, today east of Hebron is a town called Karait Arba. But this isn't the same as the one in the Old Testament, as this town wasn't founded until 1968 A.D. I covered Hebron several episodes ago, specifically in Chapter 2, Episodes 49 and 50. So if you missed those episodes, go back and give them a listen. And that brings us to the end of Genesis Chapter 35. Genesis Chapter 36 covers the descendants of Esau, who is also referred to as Edom. Why was he called Edom? Well, apparently the word meant the color red, and he was very ruddy when born. And, according to the chapter, because of this name, that of Edom, this is why his descendants were called Edomites. And, many paragraphs of this chapter are devoted to listing his wives and sons. I'll spare you a reading of the list, You know where to find it, if you're so inclined. In the chapter, we see that Esau's wives were Canaanites, and I covered Canaan many episodes ago. And the narrative gets a little more specific. His wife Ada was a Hittite, also previously covered. Oalibamah was a Hivite, and I covered the Hivites just a few episodes ago. Esau also had a wife named Basemoth, who was the daughter of Abraham's son, Ishmael. Next, Esau's five sons are all listed in the narrative notes that they were all born in Canaan, which would make them Canaanite, of course. This was probably a little foreshadowing concerning the trouble they would run into many generations later, specifically their forthcoming conflicts with the Israelites. First six of the chapter notes that Esau quoting the New Revised Standard Version, took his wives, his sons, his daughters, and all the members of his household, his cattle, all his livestock, and all the property he had acquired in the land of Canaan, and he moved to a land some distance from his brother Jacob. For their possessions were too great for them to live together. The land where they were staying could not support them because of their livestock. 
So Esau settled in the hill country of Seir. Esau is Edom. End quote. I covered the hill country of Seir in episode 2.59, which brings me to the history of Edom, and therefore the Edomites. Edom was a kingdom in the Levant, nestled between Amman to the north, the Dead Sea to the west, and the Arabian Desert to the south and east. Today, this region is essentially divided between Israel and Jordan. Of course, as we see in this chapter, Edom was referred to in the Old Testament. But it also appeared in outside sources, such as Egyptian and Mesopotamian records. In the Roman era, you will sometimes see it referred to as Idumea, but this was a slightly smaller area in the same general region. In the Old Testament, their territory ran from the Sinai Peninsula in the west, perhaps as far as Kadesh Barnea, which isn't as far as it seems, as it's on the eastern side of the peninsula. It's currently on the border of Israel and Egypt. Their territory also went as far south as Iliad, which served as their seaport, and is located on the Gulf of Aqaba, a small bay on the northeastern side of the Red Sea. To their north was the territory of Moab, which I previously covered. The boundary between Moab and Edom was the Wadai Zered, which is about 15 miles or 24 kilometers from what is currently the south shore of the Dead Sea. Researchers believe that the capital of Edom was the city of Basra, a city that is currently on the west-central side of Jordan, about 14 miles or 22 kilometers from Israel. Which brings me to the Old Testament history of the territory. Like I mentioned earlier, in Genesis chapter 36, we see where Esau's descendants settled in Edom. They are believed to have moved into the territory that was also occupied by the Horites. I'll cover the Horites in the near future. Towards the end of the chapter is a paragraph that covers the history of the land prior to a king being anointed in Israel. While I avoided a recitation of Esau's descendants, this narrative is worth a minute or two, so I'll quote it from the New Revised Standard Version beginning in verse 31. And, as a forewarning, as for Edom, much of their history can be found in the Old Testament, so this episode quotes rather extensively from those books. So back to the history of Edom, as found in Genesis. To quote, These are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom, before any king reigned over the Israelites. Bela the son of Boar reigned in Edom. The name of his city was Dinhabah. Bela died, and Jobab, son of Zerah of Basra, succeeded him as king. Jobab died, and Husham of the land of the Tenemites succeeded him as king. Husham died, and Hadad, son of Bedad, who defeated Midian in the country of Moab, succeeded him as king, name of his city being Avith. Hadad died, and Samla of Masreka succeeded him as king. Samla died, and Shal of Rehoboth on the Euphrates succeeded him as king. Shal died, and Balhanan, son of Akbor, succeeded him as king. Balhanan, son of Akbor, died, and Hadar succeeded him as king, the name of his city being Paul. His wife's name was Mehed Tabah. 
the daughter of Metra, daughter of Misahab. These are the names of the clans of Esau, according to their families and their localities by their names. The clans of Timnah, Alva, Jetha, Ohalibamah, Elah, Pinon, Kenza, Taman, Mibzar, Magdil, and Aram. These are the clans of Edom, that is, Esau, the father of Edom, according to their settlements in the land that they held. End quote. A similar list can be found in 1 Chronicles chapter 1. In one note, there is considerable debate concerning Shal of Rehoboth on the Euphrates. Now, there is a Rehoboth that is really close to Edom, but the Euphrates is nowhere in the vicinity, and no scholar believes Edom was ever large enough to include the river. I'll choose not to wade into that debate and let the text speak for itself. And this history is very curious for one simple reason. If it is believed to be true, and I choose to believe it, then kingship did not pass through heredity. So the title of king may have been an appointment, or the current king could have named his successor. It could have been a position rotated through the various chieftains, or it could have been an elected office, or maybe something else. We don't really know. Later, in Numbers chapter 20, Moses and the Israelite people twice appealed to their common ancestry and asked the king of Edom for passage through his land, along the king's highway, on their way to Canaan, but the king refused permission. The actual narrative is interesting and worthy of a quote. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, you know all the adversity that has befallen us, how our ancestors went down to Egypt, and we lived in Egypt a long time. And the Egyptians oppressed us and our ancestors. And when we cried to the Lord, he heard our voice, and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. And here we are in Kadesh, a town on the edge of your territory. Now let us pass through your land, we will not pass through field or vineyard, or drink water from any well. We will go along the king's highway, not turning aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. But Edom said to him, You shall not pass through, or we will come out with the sword against you. The Israelites said to him, We will stay on the highway, and if we drink of your water, we and our livestock, then we will pay for it. It is only a small matter, just let us pass through on foot. But he said, You shall not pass through. And Edom came out against them with a large force, heavily armed. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through their territory. So Israel turned away from them. End quote. And the Israelites diverted around the kingdom. In the end, the king of Edom did not attack the Israelites although he certainly made it appear he was prepared to do so. The next many references to Edom in the Old Testament concern its border and are usually used to delineate the boundaries of the territories as they were divided among the tribes of Israel. That is, at least, until we get to a passage in 1 Samuel chapter 14, when King Saul defeats the Edomites, an event that probably occurred in the late 11th century B.C., about 40 years later, King David, 
and his general Joab, and as seen in 2 Samuel chapter 8, defeated the Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Of course, the Valley of Salt is thought to be a euphemism for the Dead Sea. The passage contends that 18,000 Edomites perished in the conflict. After their defeat at the hands of David's army, Edom remained a tributary of the Kingdom of Israel. David ruled them through a regional governor, a practice that apparently continued through King Solomon's reign. In 1 Kings chapter 11, an Edomite prince named Hadad escaped King David's destruction by fleeing to Egypt. I'll let Jeremiah, the presumed writer of 1 Kings, tell the story. Then the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. He was of the royal house of Edom. For when David was in Edom, and Joab the commander of the army went to bury the dead, he killed every male in Edom. For Joab and all Israel remained there six months, until he had eliminated every male in Edom. But Hadad fled to Egypt with some Edomites who were servants of his father. He was a young boy at that time. They set out from Midian and came to Paran. They took people with them from Paran and came to Egypt, to Pharaoh king of Egypt, who gave him a house, assigned him an allowance of food, and gave him land. Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave him his sister-in-law for a wife, sister of Queen Tapenes. The sister of Tapenes gave birth by him to his son Jenoboth, who Tapenes weaned in Pharaoh's house. Jenoboth was in Pharaoh's house among the children of Pharaoh. When Hadad heard in Egypt that David slept with his ancestors, and that Joab the commander of the army was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, Let me depart, that I may go to my own country. But Pharaoh said to him, What do you lack with me that you now seek to go to your own country? And he said, No, do let me go. End quote. The text drops off, and we don't really find out what became of Hadad. But later in the chapter, it implies that he continued to harass Solomon. To note, there is someone named Hadad found in 1 Chronicles. This appears to be a different person. Also, the name Hadad was the storm and rain deity in both Northwest Semitic and ancient Mesopotamian religions. It was apparently a fairly common name for the era and region. Back to the Old Testament. When the United Kingdom of Israel fell apart, Edom came under the control of the Kingdom of Judah. Then, in the era Jehoshaphat, and as seen in 2 Kings chapter 3, and probably around 914 BC, there is the mention of a king of Edom. But the current thinking is that this king of Edom was an appointee of the king of Judah. 2 Chronicles chapters 20 and 21 tell of how the inhabitants of Edom, in some versions listed as being from Mount Seir, invaded Judea in confederation with Ammon and Moab, and that the invaders turned against one another and were all destroyed. Edom then revolted against Jehoram and set up a king of its own. That passage ends with the phrase, so Edom has been in revolt against the rule of Judah to this day. The resolution to the conflict was not until three chapters later, 
specifically in 2 Chronicles chapter 25, when King Amaziah of Judah addressed the problem. Quoting from the New Revised Standard Version, Amaziah assembled the people of Judah and set them by ancestral houses under commanders of the thousands and of the hundreds for all Judah and Benjamin. He mustered those twenty-year-old and upward and found that they were three hundred thousand picked troops fit for war, able to handle spear and shield. He also hired one hundred thousand mighty warriors from Israel for one hundred talents of silver. But a man of God came to him and said, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel, all these Ephraimites. Rather, go by yourself and act. Be strong in battle, or God will fling you down before the enemy, for God has power to help or to overthrow. Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do about the hundred talents that I have given to the army of Israel? The man of God answered, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. Then Amaziah discharged the army that had come with him from Ephraim, letting them go home again. But they became very angry with Judah and returned home in fierce anger. Amaziah took courage and let out his people. He went to the Valley of Salt and struck down 10,000 men of Seir. The people of Judah captured another 10,000 alive, took them to the top of Selah, and threw them down from the top of Selah so that all of them were dashed to pieces. End quote. Keep in mind that this is another passage where the people of Syria are assumed to be the same as the Edomites. Apparently, though, the Edomites were never completely defeated, as three chapters later, this time in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, the Edomites invaded and defeated Judah and carried away captives. Then, when the Israelites were captured by the Babylonians, apparently the Edomites assisted Nebuchadnezzar, in fact, in Psalms, specifically in chapter 137, it reads, Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites the day of Jerusalem's fall, how they said, Tear it down, tear it down, down to its foundations. End quote. Finally, many of the books of the prophets routinely denounced Edom. Some researchers speculate that this is related to Edom assisting in the fall of the kingdoms. And the way they were insulted by their prophets is worthy of a mention. Psalms in both chapters 60 and 108 read, Moab is my washbasin, on Edom I hurl my shoe. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 34 of the book bearing his name stated, And the streams of Edom shall be turned into pitch, and her soil into sulfur, her land shall become burning pitch. Jeremiah chapter 49 states, Edom shall become an object of horror. Everyone who passes by it will be horrified and will hiss because of all of its disasters. As when Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighbors were overthrown, says the Lord, No one shall live there, nor shall anyone settle in it. Like a lion coming up from the thickets of the Jordan against a perennial pasture, I will suddenly chase Edom away from it, and I will appoint over it whomever I choose. For who is like me? Who can summon me? Who is the shepherd who can stand before me? Therefore, hear the plan that the Lord has made against Edom, and the purposes that he has formed against the inhabitants of Taman. 
Surely the little ones of the flock shall be dragged away. Surely their fold shall be appalled at their fate. At the sound of their fall, the earth shall tremble. The sound of their cry shall be heard at the Red Sea. Look, he shall mount up and swoop down like an eagle, and spread his wings against Basra. And the heart of the warriors in Edom in that day shall be like the heart of a woman in labor. End quote. And on a personal note, I have no clue what that last bit means, but given the context, Jeremiah made it clear he had no love for the Edomites. Similar insults and prophecies of judgment can be found in Lamentations, Ezekiel, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and Malachi. In fact, it is in Malachi chapter 1 where he pronounces that God will be angry with the Edomites forever. So that's the lamentable history of the Edomites as found in the Old Testament, and probably a good stopping point for this week's episode. Join me next week when I'll cover their history from outside sources and continue in Genesis chapter 36. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, I hope you will go to iTunes or wherever you receive the podcast from and leave a positive review. Given the way the algorithms of iTunes work, this helps others to find the podcast. You can also find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.